0: Listener
1: production. Hey, Tom and Katrina here with a special International Women's Day episode.
2: The team here at Listener asked the women and a couple of men behind your favourite podcasts and radio shows to share about a time they've embraced equity by challenging gender stereotypes, calling out discrimination and bias, and seeking out inclusion.
1: Yeah, we're going to hear um, when those efforts have worked, when they didn't and what people have learned from the experience.
2: You'll hear from Carrie Bickmore, Jess Rowe, Jamila Rizvi, Sarah Marie Cameron, Fifi Box, Taria Pitt, Natasha Belling, Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw, Erin Molan, Lem Zakaria, Lauren Barry and Kimber Cahill, along with Tommy Little, Brendan Favola and Nick Cody. Some incredible
3: names there.
1: Wow, that's quite a lineup. We're going to hear their thoughts in this special International Women's Day episode.
4: Hello, it's Carrie Bickmore here, jumping into your feed with something a little bit different here at Listener this International Women's Day. This year's theme is Embracing Equity. So, Listener, I've brought together some of your favourite radio and podcast hosts from across the country to hear their stories of challenging gender stereotypes, calling out discrimination, drawing attention to bias, or seeking out inclusion. I am so much looking forward to hearing their stories about when it worked, when it didn't, what people have learned from their experiences Experiences and how everybody, every woman's journey is different. So let's get into it. Now, gender inequality exists across most industries, and it obviously takes Men like yourself, Tommy, to be allies and women to have agency for change to happen. And we came across some really interesting examples of when women in the entertainment industry have uh, spoken up and fought for Mm. pay inequality. And some of the examples we have read have astounded me. Times when you're like, of course, in that situation, the woman should have been paid more than the men. And it wasn't until either it was uncovered accidentally or the woman dared have the guts to uh, confront the bosses and say, hey. I want to be paid the same, that the pay gap was exposed. Um, and yes. I think I think some of these examples here will make you rethink like some of the your most loved shows that you've seen now that you know how much um, under the women were being paid.
1: I'm familiar with the term fun fact, because, but these aren't fun facts. They're more... Informative and interesting facts that offer a platform for change, which I know is not as catchy as simply (laughs) saying "fun fact." But well, well,
4: uh, the word I'd use before these facts um, is an F word, um, but it's not fun. Female facts? No, it's (laughs) a swear word because I think that's how these facts are. They're (laughs) they're horrendous. No, I think that like it makes me furious when I read these facts.
1: Top ten worlds. Highest paid entertainers. How many do you think are women, Because,
4: Well, I know this because I
1: forgot. Yeah, you've got one. It's written in front of you. (laughs) Yes,
4: (laughs) of the ten highest paid entertainers, only one of them is a woman and that is Taylor Swift. That's insane.
1: She comes in in at number nine.
4: Yep, Sting's in at number two. The guys who made um, South Park are in at number five.
1: Brad Pitt, Rolling Stones, James Cameron. So, I mean, you know, when we talk about Equality. Men having ninety percent of that list is probably it makes fair. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels good. What do you got?
4: What about so House of Cards? Have you seen House of Cards? No, I haven't. One of my most favourite series ever. Um, and in it is Robin Wright and Kevin Spacey. Robin Wright plays Claire Underwood in the show, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting because she uh, discovered she got a feeling that she wasn't getting paid the same as Kevin Spacey in House of Cards, and she went to the executives and she said, "You better pay me." right, or I'm going to go public, which is an interesting move that not every woman has the ability to say or do or the confidence to say or do, and I think it can only happen at a particular time in your career where you feel like you can back yourself in like that. It's a terrifying thing, I think, to do to stand up to your executive and go, I'm going to go public with something unless you pay me the same. But she said she was looking back at 16, she was looking uh, 2016 at the statistics of the show and that she found out that her character was more popular than Frank, which was Kevin Spacey's character, and she said it was the perfect paradigm. She said there are very few films or TV shows where the male, the patriarch and the matriarch are actually equal and they were in House of Cards. And she said a year later she was still thinking about it. She thought, I don't think we're getting paid the same. And so she said, you either pay me the same or I go public. And they said, well, we can't because Kevin Spacey is listed as um, a producer on the show as well. So he gets that money as well, which means he's always going to earn more than you. And she, so she said, great, make me a producer too. And so that's their, what, yeah. the way around that they found to be able to pay her the same, which obviously took her speaking up and finding a creative way around. But even when they were called on it, they were like, no, oh, yeah, but still. And I think that's mm. the problem. You get, often get a no and you've got to go again, which, again, yeah. is exhausting.
1: And I'm sure women in showbiz feel the same as women in lots of fields, which is they're made to feel like if they speak up that there's so many people in line to do their job that they're just... Dispensable.
4: Absolutely. Well, Michelle Williams said she felt that feeling. She felt paralysed uh, when she discovered that um, they were doing a film together, her and Mark Wahlberg, and they'd been called back to do some reshoots. And she mm. discovered that Mark Wahlberg was getting paid $1.5 million for the reshoots of mm-hmm. this film. What did she get? She got paid less than $1,000.
1: Jeez, that's What's like, the point of even giving you that money when it's that big a difference? Do well, you know what I mean?
4: Absolutely. And she says when she looks back at that moment in her life, she said that'll be the moment that she's most proud of. She said she was very shy, which is what you were talking about before, having the courage to be able to, you know, mm. fight against your bosses. And she said but she found her voice to stand up and speak out. And, and you know, it was a life-changing moment for her.
1: What a moment too when she comes out and complains about it when then the director, Ridley Scott, um, initially said that, no, no, no one got paid for this oh reshoot. And then they dug it up and they went, Yes. Yes, they did. Do you no remember when
4: there paid. was that I think it was like there was a Sony hack or something, and um, they discovered that I think it was the movie American Hustle and Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper were paid like something, I think it was like nine or ten percent of the profits from the film American Hustle yeah. Hustle and Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence, who was Jennifer Lawrence was an Oscar winner and yeah. they were getting paid only like six or seven percent. Um, and right. I think it made like two hundred and fifty million or something at the box office. And so that's a yeah. huge amount when you look at that. I think it was twenty-three million or something compared to eighteen million, like five million difference in pay. And you mm. could even argue in that case, you go, "Well, there's someone of the same profile, for example. She was an Oscar winner, and she was still getting paid less than they were."
1: Yep. I'm sorry, because I'd love to fix it in this brief chat. No,
4: I know you um, can't.
1: You I'm can't. taking <laughs> my stance as a, an, a, as an ally, and I'll I'll. I wish I could fix it.
4: We have to be thankful for the women that have gone before us and I'm going to leave Mm -hmm. you on a final quote from Michelle Williams who we spoke about earlier during her 2019 Emmy speech and she said, so the next time a woman and especially a woman of colour because she stands to make, oh, my gosh, 52 cents on the dollar compared to her white male counterpart, tells you what she needs to do in order to do her job, listen to her believe her because one day she might stand in front of you and say thank you for allowing her to succeed because of her workplace environment and not in spite of it.
5: Hello, it is Jess Rowe here from the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. Now, I wanted to share with you one of the themes from International Women's Day, and that is calling out discrimination and how that is in fact impacted on my life and my experience of that. Let me take you back quite some years ago when I was a news presenter at Channel 10 in Sydney. Now, I was reading the five o'clock news along with... A male co-host. This was a job that I ended up doing for 10 years. When I first started this job, yes, I was junior. I didn't have the experience that my co-host had, so I knew I had things to learn. But let's fast forward the clock. Six years later it was, and I still was not able to read what we call the main news story. It is the lead news story of the day. That is the first news story that you will hear when you switch on the TV news. I wasn't allowed to do that. It was always my male co hosts job to do that. Another thing that I wasn't allowed to do was to do any interviews. Now, I got that, of course, when I first began... I needed to earn my stripes, but come on, six years into the role, I think it was time for me to really have my turn, so to speak. You know, a number of things had happened to me over the years. I decided I wasn't going to make a fuss. I wasn't going to make a noise. But now was the time for me to stand up. And I think that's really important that you get to a moment in your life might be your personal life, it might be your career, when you think to yourself, enough is enough. So I said to my boss, why is it that Ron gets to read the lead news story and I don't? I knew what the answer would be, but I was still gobsmacked when my boss told me the answer with not a hint of sarcasm in his voice. He said to me, well, lovey, that's because Ron's a man and you're a woman. Can you believe it? This is not that long ago. So you know what I did? I wrote that down and then I decided to go to our HR department and I went up to them and I said, I've just had this conversation and they tried to laugh it off. They were like, ha, oh, you know what he's like, oh, he's joking. I said, no, he's not joking. I said, if you look across the entire network, not one woman reads the lead news story. The HR department didn't even know this and they went, oh, 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 okay. And so I went away, read the news that night. The next day, my boss came to me and he said, you're going to be reading the lead news story. I was like, yes, this is a win. You're watching the five o'clock news. My male co-host wouldn't talk to me for probably about six weeks because he thought I was being uppity. I didn't care, though. For me, that was a battle worth fighting. And from that day on, every woman on the 10 Network got their chance to read the lead news story and they alternated it with their male co-host. So that is why it is so important to call out discrimination when you see it, but also, more importantly, to do it When you have the power. I knew as a younger journalist, I didn't have the power, I didn't have the voice to do that. But I had got to a point in my job, in my career, where I knew I had the experience and I had the voice to use it. So when you have that voice, you use it. And when you see other younger women around you, use your voice for them if they haven't been able to find it yet. So that is my message to you on this International Women's Day. Get loud, get proud, use your voice and call out discrimination.
6: Hey, it's Sarah-Marie Cameron from Triple M. How have I challenged gender stereotypes? Well, I guess I'm a comedian working on Triple M, which is seen as a male dominated radio station. And I'm also a sports host. So I think I make a living out of working in the spaces where a lot of men happen to walk. And I love that. Calling out discrimination. I had a really funny one actually here at Triple M just the other week. A guy called up to try and be part of a competition and it wasn't the right time. So I said, well, is there anything else that I can help you with? And he said, yeah, you can make me a sandwich and laughed and thought that it was hilarious. And I was like, Okay, I don't know how many people you say that to, but I'm not really taking it. He made a comment about going back to the kitchen and then I just said to him that he can go back to 1982 and I hung up on him. And I get a lot of joy out of doing things like that. Thankfully, those sorts of calls here at Triple M are few and far between, but I absolutely always call out that kind of stuff. I also get people coming up to me after comedy shows and they'll say, wow, you're really funny for a girl. First of all, I'm not a girl, I'm a woman. And secondly, funny's funny. It doesn't matter who's saying it, what gender or sex you are, funny is funny. There's been a few instances where I've been invited to join certain groups or boards, and then I'll ask who else is on the board. And there's been a few too many times where I've deemed that there weren't enough inclusive voices on that board. So I actually asked to not be included and have my spot given to somebody else, particularly a woman of color. My partner has Ethiopian and Eritrean heritage. When I become a mum, my children are going to be black and I want them to see and hear black women and more women of colour and trans women and so much more gender diversity, particularly in the media landscape. If it's radio, TV, podcasting, magazine, billboards, I want them to see all of that body inclusivity it all matters so I'm actually the first person to remove myself from a situation if I think that there's too much of me and that's just one way that I hope that I'm helping so that somebody else can step up and give their voice and show themselves. Hey,
0: Erin Molan here from Husey, Ed and Erin. It is so lovely to talk to you guys today about a time that I challenged a gender stereotype. And I guess the biggest example in my life would be when I started at Channel 9 on the footy show and I was the first woman to co-host that show, the first woman to also join the Continuous Call Team, which was a rugby league show that had been around for 30-odd years. And being the first woman in that environment was really challenging in a lot of ways. It was amazing in a lot of ways but very challenging because there was still a a significant part of the population here in Australia who didn't think that a woman belonged there regardless of her qualifications, her passion or her knowledge and it really struck me and was quite difficult in the early days because there felt at the time like there was this avalanche of criticism and The majority of it, in fact, 99.9% had nothing to do with the fact that I had said something wrong or that I didn't know my information. It was basically because I was a woman. And that was the basis for a lot of these attacks on me was the fact that my gender was not male. And that really blew my mind. I'd never experienced anything really like it. And there were times when I thought, I'm just gonna walk away because it is actually too hard. All I'm doing is my job, a job that I'm paid to do, a job that I've been asked to do, not a job that I beg to do, A job that i was qualified for and i was asked to do and i loved but i was just seemed to be creating so much controversy and receiving so much abuse over it but i stuck with it i kept going and it really launched such an incredible time in my life and an amazing career but it also was a period that i had to build a lot of resilience in and there were times when i could have stood back or stepped away or kept quiet and in the early days there were a lot of times that i did but once I started to get a bit older and grow in confidence a little bit, I realized that I had a real opportunity here and I had a voice here. And I could try to make the path slightly easier for women who are following behind me and not just in rugby league and not just in, in male dominated industries, but generally in life. And I now look at the most incredible women who have come after. There were women who came before who were just amazing and I guess did incredible things in other areas, but commercial TV at that stage, didn't have opportunities for women, so I feel very blessed that I came along at a time where they determined that they were ready. Having said that, received so much incredible support along the way, but it was this just pocket of society that was very vocal that I felt needed to to know and needed to be shown that women can do it just as well as men in whatever role they like, and that gender should never hold you back or stop you from doing anything. I have a four and a half year old daughter, and I know hope by example in a lot of ways, but also by talking to her, by having conversations, by looking at other incredible women that I admire, that I can raise her in a world and in a society where she never ever feels any less because of her gender, where she never feels that she can't do something because she is a girl, where she never feels that she might be less than someone else because they're a man. So I really hope that we're getting there. I think we've come such a long way and I think it's really important in all of these conversations to acknowledge We have come so, so, so far. That's really important to do, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a fair way to go. And in a lot of ways, we do have a fair way to go. So proud of where we're at, proud of the the really relatively small contribution that, that I think I've made in this space. And so proud to watch so many other women fight so passionately for the exact same thing, something we shouldn't have to fight for, but that we still do in many ways.
7: Hey, mate. I'm Terea Pitt. I once did this interview with this journalist, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but he was, he was honestly a bit of a dick. He asked me what it was like to have people stare at me, how I could possibly come to terms with my changed appearance, how my partner could find me attractive, and then he questioned me as to why I had been on the front cover of so many of my books and he justified this line of interrogation by saying, well, I've written three books and I've never been on the cover of any of them. And so I said, well, mate, no-one knows who the f*** you are, so obviously putting you on the cover would not be a selling point. The Australian Women's Weekly first put me on the cover of their magazine, I think now it's probably like nine, eight years ago. And that caused such a ruckus, right? I received emails from CNN, BBC, People magazine, the New York Times. I received calls from journalists in Singapore and India and Indonesia and Mexico and Israel and Canada, and all of them were desperate to write the story of what this bold move by an Australian magazine editor meant for their industry's perceptions of beauty. I've been on a few covers since then and... Whilst I'm proud of that and I think it's cool to see someone like me on the cover of a national magazine and it's a reflection of the fact that surprise, surprise, we all come in different shapes and sizes and colours and packages, not to mention ages and backgrounds and abilities and religions and sexual orientation and gender identities. But it's also, it's kind of bullshit because it's 2023. And diversity still very much seems to be an afterthought or like an exercise in just ticking the box. I'm a mum of two little boys. I love them to bits. I breastfed both my kids and that was really important for me, but I found it really hard with my first son. So then at the hospital, they suggested I try nipple shields, which are basically just like a cute little silicon sombrero for your nipple. So every time I'd go to feed my son, I'd, I'd attach my silicon sombrero and I'd get to work. But it's not really counted as work at all. Like it doesn't count towards GDP in Australia, even though it's super time-consuming. Like I definitely put in more than 40 hours a week when I was breastfeeding my newborns. Uh, running a household doesn't count either. Buying food from Woolies, taking the kids to swimming, making dinner, doing laundry reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar, dropping the kids off at childcare. I mean, you think about it, childcare is so essential for families unless someone, usually mom, takes one for the team, takes one for the family and bows out. And a lot of my girlfriends work part-time because childcare is expensive and so it just doesn't make economic sense for them to keep working. And I know we all say, like, being a mom is the most important job in the world. But to me, that just feels like a platitude because mums produce and care for and nurture the future tax-paying citizens of this nation. But I just don't see how any of that is ever counted or considered or rewarded or prioritised or even recognised.
8: Hi, Tash Belling here, jumping into your feed with something special. Hope you enjoy this for International Women's Day for 2023. International Women's Day, I think, is an opportunity to celebrate previous generations, my grandmother's generation, my mum's generation, my great-grandmother's generation, where in such a short time we have achieved so much and it's only thanks to those generations that we're in the position we are in today. But it's also an opportunity, not just for women, but collectively all of us to look, how are we heading towards equality in 2023? It's an opportunity to reflect on what we've achieved so far, but it shouldn't just be about females. It needs to be a conversation with everyone because the bottom line is our key decision makers today whether we like it or not, because that's why we haven't seen change, instrumental change in childcare and aged care and pay equity is because still, unfortunately, some of the key decision makers in Parliament previously were a lot of -of out-of-touch people that didn't understand what matters in households. Now we're seeing that change. So today is an opportunity to reflect on the great achievements we've made but to make sure all voices are at the decision-making table. Often if I've ever encountered any form of discrimination or bias, it's actually from a really uneducated person because not only is it the right thing to do to make sure everyone, not just females, every person has a right to have a voice at a table. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it actually makes financial sense, especially in the media business. Why would you disregard a huge chunk of your audience. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it also is financially the right way to go. And I was really lucky. I grew up in a house uh, full of incredibly tough, outspoken women and I have a beautiful dad and I never, ever thought I couldn't achieve anything because I'm a female. It's only when I encountered certain discrimination that then I thought, my gosh, why would it make any difference if I'm a female or not? And it's really important because I'm the mother of two teenage boys that they also don't face discrimination because right now it's an incredibly confusing time for young men in particular and that they need to know this is not about male bashing, it's about the fact that we want to make sure that everyone has a voice at the table and everyone enjoys opportunities because then I've seen another side of discrimination where I've seen a lot of really hands-on dads with changing workplaces they face discrimination by out-of-touch, ignorant bosses that won't allow them to enjoy the same privileges and rights that female counterparts do.
9: Camila Rizvi here, host of The Weekend Briefing. I want you to remember the last time that you were in one of those rooms where you were just buzzing, one of those rooms where you felt comfortable because you fitted in, because you belonged. One of those nights where you loved what you were wearing, you loved how you felt in what you were wearing, you'd been looking forward to it for a really long time, and now you're there and you're walking around whatever event that it is. Maybe it's a party, maybe it's a barbecue in the backyard, maybe you're hanging with your family at Christmas time, no matter what it is. I want you to remember that feeling of belonging and that feeling of being with your people and that hard-to-describe sense of connection that I think only comes when you know you're supposed to be there, that this was a space that was built for you, not necessarily physically constructed for you, but was made for someone like you to thrive, that was made with you in mind, that there was an emotional space, an intellectual space, and maybe, yeah, a physical space that was was created for someone like you. I want you to remember that feeling. And I want you in your mind's eye to look around. And I want you to ask yourself, who's not there? Who's not in the metaphorical room because it feels great to belong and it feels great to feel included. It genuinely does. And sometimes when that is something that happens for us often, we forget what it feels like not to be. And there is an incredible Russian now living in America author called Masha Gessen and they say that whenever they feel that particular feeling of belonging they always ask themselves who is not in this room who doesn't have access to this room who is in this room now but doesn't feel the way I do because they don't get to be comfortable the way I am and I think The flip side of that example is that we've all been in rooms like that, right? Especially women and gender diverse people. We've had that experience before. And if you are a woman who faces multiple intersecting barriers to success or inclusion, if you're a First Nations woman, a disabled woman, a woman of color, an older woman, a fat woman, those barriers just multiply. They get higher and higher and higher. And it means that More and more of your life is spent in rooms where you don't belong and you can feel it. You can't just feel it, you can taste it, you can smell it. And it's goddamn cruel when you are consistently the one that is both on the inside and on the outside at the same time, the one who has to stick up your hand and say, not good enough, the one that has to stick up your hand and say, that's not fair, the one that has to be that girl, It's always just being annoying and being a killjoy and getting in the way and ruining all the boys' fun. And yet I think most of us have felt like that, especially at work, at some point in our lives or another. And there are men that face those same challenges, particularly men who are men of colour or face some kind of intersection, queer men, for example. And I think we need to find ways to always be looking to be a better ally to whoever's being excluded. We always need to be looking for ways to identify the person, the group, the intersection who is not being included and demand change because if you have that sense of inclusion, if you have that sense of possibility and joy and fun and being supported in that room, that means you've got some kind of power. You might not have power all the time but in that situation you've got power so you've got to be brave enough to leave that place of comfort and say, this is the person who doesn't feel comfort here and I'm going to say something on their behalf. With their permission, in their voice, I am going to support them to be heard because we all deserve to spend more time in rooms where we belong, especially at work, where too often we are still working within white cis male structures that were built by those men and they were built for those men and it still shows.
10: Fe Feb,
3: and Nick here. It's International
10: Women's Day, and we're with one of the strongest women we know. Um, you are career focused. You're a very strong woman, incredible career. You're also a single mum. How have you done all this by yourself?
2: Wow. Okay. Thank you, Feb. I really appreciate that. And I will start by saying, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but with the support of friends like both of you and colleagues who um, are, are there for me. And it is a bit obviously challenging, being a single parent, Mm. um, getting up at four o'clock every morning and having two small children. So I wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of my team around me, you guys, the company. And I think we're very lucky because we work for a company that really does support women. And um, I have felt that. I mean, I've been here for over 20 years at Southern Cross Austereo. So I've been on that journey. You know, I was a 20 year old who started working here and I was very career focused. I didn't really stop down to have a personal life because I was so career focused. Um, and then when I got to a stage where I did want to have children, it's it it is a it is a juggle. Um, and as a, a single mum, I have I, I chose to go down that path, and I've just had to be really disciplined and and also it's just quite forgiving of myself in the areas you know not not everything is attainable when you're doing something on your own, but. Um, Yeah, there is definitely a, um, I guess, you get pulled in different directions when you are married to your career and you love your career and you're goal-oriented, but you're also a mum and your children are your number one priority.
10: Speaking of the children, Boxy, you know, Nick and I, we're we're obviously both men and we don't give birth and we can continue to work. and. I feel that there's a lot of women um, out there that, you know, are career orientated, they work all their life and then get to a point where they go, God, we didn't have kids because I was so focused on work. Um, What would be your advice to someone who is young, who wants to have babies, but also wants to have a career?
3: That's, it's that's pretty
10: inspiring. a really
2: good question, Fev. And I think about this with my daughters because I, I I grew up at a time when and I was incredibly supported by my my parents and my family, and I went to a school that really taught you you can do anything, and I really believed that. And so I went into the world thinking, you know, whatever I want, I'm going to go for it. Unfortunately, I wanted to get into radio, and and that all panned out. But there was a time, sort of in my 30s, where I went, oh, I'm obviously reaching a juncture here where if I don't have children soon, I'm not having Mm. children. And that is just a reality that most women face. It's a biological clock. Um, And I think what I'm so grateful for that I certainly know my grandmothers wouldn't have been able to go down the path I've gone down, that women can actually take control of their fate and their destiny. And they can, there are now avenues you can go down to either have children on your own, but also there is such a supportive um, work environment, but that's so important to have the infrastructure around you to not only have maternity leave, uh, to then obviously have flexible arrangements where you can have childcare, maybe need to be there for your children, particularly if you are on your own, but even, I guess, not on your own. If you're a female on a career path and you're climbing the ladder because that's what, you know, a lot of people do. They want to go further Mm. and and better themselves. But sometimes a a woman has to take time out to have her children Mm. and I think it's really important the first few years of your children's life particularly to be there for them. Uh, And I know women are faced by... It's quite confronting. Do I step out because will I lose? You know, will I lose a few years here? Will people suddenly be getting the jobs that I would be getting? But I think we're becoming so more aware of that and making sure that women are protected and 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 I think you know there's still a lot of growth there
11: Hey everyone it is Laura and Steph here from the Kickpod and for International Women's Day today in the theme of embracing equity we are going to chat about our experiences with challenging gender stereotypes. So Steph, do you want to start with mm. your experience?
10: Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that for me in my marriage, we've really challenged the gender stereotypes. You know, my partner, particularly in his household that he grew up in, his dad worked really, really hard and his mum looked after the kids and it was very much that stereotypical... And his mum worked really hard too, Very through, right? hard, absolutely, as a mum of four. Um, and I think that's, that's something he was brought up with. However, we've been able to kind of navigate that and challenge those stereotypes because our situation is a little bit different. And I think what's been really beautiful, and I'm fortunate enough to say that, however, I do feel that it should be the norm is to have those open communications about how are we going to do it, how are we going to parent, how are we going to share the load of the housework, Um, how are we going to navigate this and it's always been a a conversation and something that we've navigated that we're going through right now is I'm working, Um, we have an almost two-year-old and my partner Josh is a stay-at-home dad and it's quite interesting going through that because for us it was a no-brainer and it was a conversation but it was a conversation that happened and and we both agreed on fairly quickly because it made sense to our family and it was really interesting to see the way that people received that news because i think what's been interesting and annoying is the things that have popped up for me in this time versus what's popped up for josh has been quite annoying because it's kind of going back to that gender stereotype of expecting josh to be working or uh, doing something on the side, like he, he couldn't possibly just to be being a dad because that's not enough work or whatever and then for me it's the question of well, when are you going for your second child and it's kind of disregarding everything else that I'm working on in, in my life and or that, it's, that, don't that might you not feel even guilty be, for not exactly. being home how
11: could you be at work or how could you be traveling for work when Whereas, you have a baby at home but a man would never you that. Be exactly
10: asked that. 100% and so i think i'm really fortunate in the situation that we that we are in and that we are doing and hoping that it becomes the more norm, that it's not just assumed or expected, that if you're in a heterosexual relationship, it can't just be assumed that if the mother births a child, that they are the ones that will then also stay at home and parent and that it just goes without saying that it's the male that goes back to work. I think it always needs to be a a conversation no matter what your relationship looks like. It always needs to be a conversation and what makes sense to your family.
11: Absolutely, and I think too what that then leads to is One of the other huge reasons we need to challenge gender stereotypes is because there is, in terms of the the workplace and the workforce, a huge gap for women in terms Mm. of the pay gap. First of all, so we start behind. There's also the super gap, and Mm. that's something that if it is assumed that that the woman will stay home when the you know maybe for you know a year or whatever Mm. that may be, in that year in a heterosexual relationship, the woman is not earning super. And so what that means is the male is earning super, but super isn't something that is accumulated together as a couple. It's accumulated separately. And so there's another huge gap there that continues just to get bigger and bigger. And it's something that we have implemented at Kik that's really, really important to us. When people in our team take leave, we have got a policy within our parental policy where if the primary carer takes leave, they get their super paid for up to one year. And for us, I think in Running Kick, it's something challenging gender stereotypes as two female mm. founders who are running a tech business is something that we have got to do every single day. I mean, as we record this, you're more likely to become the CEO of a top ASX listed company. If your name is Andrew, <laughs> then it is Laura or any other or Steph or any other female name. And I've got some stats here I really wanted to to read because I think there is equality within the workforce in terms that the actual workforce is made up of approximately Mm. 50-50, but it is in leadership roles where there is such a huge gap. And so while women make up 51% of the Australian workforce, they make up only 19% of CEO positions, 32.5% of key management positions, and 33% of board members uh, and 18% of board chairs, which that means that majority of key decision makers within businesses are men. And for us navigating this world, it has felt like every single room that we enter, we have to prove ourselves yeah. 10 times before we can walk in where our male counterpart could just walk straight in. And as women, I feel like, and this is something that I've spoken to a lot of other, and we've spoken to a lot of other female leaders and, and women in business mm. that feel this way, that we have to prove ourselves, whereas our male counterparts do not have to do that. And I think in terms of even something we're navigating now is exploring the process of raising capital Mm. for our business and the stats around capital, what we have learned is that only Mm. 0.7%, 07 so less than 1%, of total capital raise goes to solely female founded teams, which means that 99.3% does not. And so what that implies is that women cannot run successful businesses. That is absolutely not the case. They can, we can, we do, and we will continue to do that more. And I think what's really the reason that we have to challenge gender stereotypes in in all elements of our life is because there is 50% of our population currently that isn't their skills, which which is women, all of our skills and our leadership abilities and everything are not being taken advantage of, really, because mm. we are only tapping into 50% of the population. So imagine what we could do if we tapped into our population's full potential, which is why we need to keep challenging the stereotypes and not accept it the way
3: that it is right now. Hey, I'm Lem and I produce It's A Lot podcast with Abby Chatfield, And yeah, I grew up in the Middle East. So I think even though we have gender stereotypes all around the world, but it's even more pronounced where I grew up. Um, And what really used to piss me off really was the catcalling. And um, so I channeled all of my anger towards that um, and decided to battle it out with comedy, satire and music. So I took a Blink-182 song And turn myself into a guy hitting (laughs) on a girl. And just to show people what it feels like almost, you know. (laughs) And it was incredible the amount of people who watched the video. I mean, they found it funny. But on another level... It was a commentary, it was social commentary that this is not okay, that what you're doing is harassing women, it's never okay. And just seeing it from a woman's perspective, hitting on another woman as if she's a man, really showed my community, I think. How would you like it if I did that to you, you know?
12: <laughs> hey, it's Lauren from the Marty Gold Show, and I want to wish you all... All you queens and kings that have queens in their lives, a very happy International Women's Day. I think when it comes to challenging gender stereotypes, especially within this industry, I have found since working at a network like Triple M, which is obviously very male skewed, our demo is very male. That even though that is our main demographic, all of these men that we are appealing to and that we want them to listen to us, they all have women in their lives and we still want to make shows that appeal to those women as well. Just like the women before me at this network, you've got your Rosie Waltons, your uh, Jane Kennedys, your Miff Warhurst, all the women that work here. It's so important to show the women listening to us that even if there is a lot of men around you and it's all beer and footy and sport and all that kind of thing, you can still be a woman making change within a network like that. Um, And I have had even people say to me, you know, my daughter wants to work in radio because of you, my teenage daughter. And I just think that's so nice to hear because we don't think of those people when we make shows like this, but they can still appeal to those groups. I think it's really important, especially young women that are coming up in this industry to be a support because it can be really, really challenging. And just checking in on each other, I think, making sure that you can be that sort of person that people can come to if they need. Keep being awesome. Women, us, just the best. I love being a woman. It's magnificent and men wish they could be us. Have a great day.
13: <laughs> hey, it's Kimber Cahill from Mix 94.5 in Perth talking about challenging those stereotypes and when you have to call out that sort of bias and discrimination. I think for myself, one of the most challenging times probably that I've had to do that um, was when we were finally given an interview on our breakfast show with the Prime Minister at the time, Scott Morrison. And we'd been asking him for some time to come on our show for a couple of years and um, he hadn't taken up any of those opportunities. And then there was this one time he said, I'd actually love to be on the show and he had something he wanted to spruik with us and we were all told we could ask one question each. That was all we had time for and his people wanted to know what my question would be so that he could prepare and I didn't grant him that permission because I didn't want him to prepare. I actually wanted his personal opinion on something that had been a burning issue for me for some time. Um, I told him that I was wanting to talk about the Women's Network uh, at the time and, and he understood I was going to go down that angle but possibly not the way that I delivered it. Um, And it was difficult because I did have a burning issue. I'd had many issues during the time that he'd been Prime Minister and feeling that he was not tackling the major problems uh, that women face and especially domestic violence issues and things that were happening in Australia that I just thought were completely unacceptable. And so I really was trying to summarise all of that in one question, but also something that i felt so passionate about trying to capture that in a way that was not disrespectful when dealing with the prime minister this is the question that i put to him Prime Minister, when it comes to women's issues, you consistently miss the mark. Evidently, you need to see women through the prism of your wife or your daughters. And in 2022, there's just no excuse for that level of ignorance. What is not cutting through for you? What needs to happen for you to recognise the inequality, bias and dangers that women face?
1: Well, look, I don't share your view about that and I don't think that's
0: how I do see those issues um of course you know i like any other australian i'm i'm informed by you know the world i live in and my own family but that's not how i i see those issues i see them individually there are more women and women. and
13: it's interesting that 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 was one question for me where i i genuinely wanted an answer i wasn't trying to set him up i wasn't it was that he appeared to be giving all of this information and, and I just didn't trust what was actually happening. And funnily enough, I found afterwards the articles that went viral around the world and around Australia were people saying ScoMo scolded. Uh, Prime Minister accused of missing the mark in radio grilling. Tense moment that ScoMo is grilled. Intense radio interview. Kimber hammers Scott Morrison. And I found it fascinating that everybody was calling out saying, This is the journalist we've always needed. And I'm not a journalist. I've never been that person. But this was just something that really mattered to me. And it made me realize if you frame your questions appropriately and you take people to task on the things that matter, it does make an impact. And so I want to continue doing that and make that impact wherever I can when it comes to supporting women, particularly in this country.
8: Listener, embracing equity this International Women's Day.
3: Listener.